Good morning. It's good to be with you here this morning as we uh, open up God's Word. Let's uh, start with a word of prayer. Father, we, Father, we just want to just thank you. Anyway, uh, Lord, uh, hold on a second here. I think that might be me. What? No, no. How do you turn these things off? For Pete's sake. I own you take this because we don't want that to happen again. She actually caught that. I'm amazed. Let's go back to prayer. Father, we just thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray that you'll be with Maria. I pray that you'll be with Pete. I pray you'll be with Lizzie. I pray you'll be with Greg. I pray you'll be with Mary. And I pray you'll be with Jamie. And I pray you'll be with Glenn. And be with Tom especially. And pray that you would be with Andrew and Sarah. And you know the rest of the people. I can't think of their names. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So this morning, we're just having a little fun. We're talking about prayer. And uh, that's what happens. Sometimes we struggle with prayer. Um, sometimes we do because we don't turn off our machines before we start. We uh, have the phone ring. There's something interesting on YouTube that we want to watch. Uh, the TV is on. Whatever it is, it distracts us. And like those annoying auto warranty phone calls, uh, it seems like our calls to the Lord wind up with uh, nothing significant happening. And then another problem that we might have with our prayer life is that we just don't know how to pray. And so we just walk through people's names and we say, be with. I used to pray that way all the time. I remember as a new believer, I'd pray in my high school youth program and I'd be like, oh, Lord, just be with uh, my brother Dean, be with I. What does that mean? How is God supposed to know what we're actually praying for? Prayer is a tricky thing for all of us. It doesn't come easily. It's not something that is natural to us. The famous Welsh preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones says there are two extremes to be avoided in prayer. One is where we just say, oh, this is so easy. I, I just pray all the time. It's just something that I do naturally. And, and usually when you run into someone like that, that means that they just haven't really done a whole lot of prayer. They're trying to sound like prayer is just something that comes so easily, like walking or breathing air. And then the other extreme would be, I just struggle so much to find time, to know what to say. No one has ever discipled me on how to pray. How fortunate we are if we've had someone come alongside of us and just teach us to pray. Because prayer is so important to the Christian, to our walk with God. We have to be in prayer. Uh, Jesus, we see over and over again, is in a spirit of prayer. After some of the busiest days of ministry recorded in the Gospels, we see Jesus walking off away from his disciples to the hillsides just to spend time with his heavenly Father in prayer. Sometimes he does this all night long. Uh, we had a sermon not too long ago where the disciples get in the boat on the Sea of Galilee and they begin to move the boat across the sea to meet Jesus on the other side just as a huge storm comes up. And where was Jesus? Yeah, he was praying. Prayer is something that he models for us. 
As we start our series this morning on John chapter 17, as Maria just had read this, um, we're going to be looking at what's called the high priestly prayer. Uh, This is a little bit different than the Lord's Prayer that we commonly recite in our services. Uh, The high priestly prayer is a much more intimate prayer. Uh, We have to put it in the context in which it's given. In the Gospel of John, don't let that offset you as to how it's laid out. If you're used to reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you kind of have a chronological aspect to the Gospel story. Uh, They differ at some places as far as when they tell a story or what particulars are in that story, but for the most part, it begins with the ministry of Jesus, with the miracle at Cana when he turns water into wine, and it winds up at the uh, resurrection. In John, we get much quicker into the Passion Week. In fact, in our section here, this whole part of John's gospel starts at John 13, And it goes through John 17, and it's Jesus with his disciples giving them final instructions before he heads to the cross. His main message is, I have come to die for you. It is the plan. This is what I'm about. And the disciples have various reactions to that. Lord, don't say that. We don't want you to go away. Or, Lord, I won't let you be taken, and I'll defend you to the last, and so forth. And Jesus is just saying, no, men, this is why my Father has sent me. I have come to die for the lost, and because I'm going to the cross, I want to give you some final instructions. And so they break bread together, and they, uh, they understand that Jesus is giving his life for the world. Uh, he soon will be arrested and taken before the high priest, and eventually through Pontius Pilate, And eventually he will wind up on that skull, that hill of Golgotha, where he'll be nailed to a cross and he will give his life. But here, in chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, Jesus is modeling for them prayer. Now before, with the Lord's Prayer, the disciples say to Jesus, teach us how to pray. How should we do this? And he very aptly leads them through that. You know, our Heavenly Father, right? Hallowed be thy name, and so forth. And they're learning the parts of prayer. But in chapter 17, as Maria read, what we're looking at here is a time in which Jesus is praying. Have you, have you ever just read through the Gospels and you're thinking, man, I would love to have been on that hillside when Jesus retreats up there to have a word of prayer. What is he saying to the Father? How does someone pray for hours? As a young pastor, I had the opportunity to go to Chicago for a conference. Um, I was so excited about it. I was like, this is great. Not just that the conference was great, but that I was going to take a day ahead of time. The, The conference started, let's say, on a Tuesday. I was going to arrive on a Monday. I had my Bible, and I had a cheap hotel room in downtown Chicago, and I was just going to spend my time in prayer, and I thought, well, there's no better way I could spend my time, and so I got into the hotel room, and I didn't even unpack. I just opened my Bible. I knelt beside my my bed, and I just started reading, and then I thought, this is the time. I'm going to just intercede for others. I'm going to pray. I'm going to praise God so forth. And I started to pray. And it was an amazing time of prayer. I loved it. It was great. 
And I looked up at the clock. I realized that 15 minutes had passed. And I was like, how am I going to spend a whole day in prayer? And I tried to pray a little while longer, and then a little while longer. And I realized that, man, I'm, I must not be where I'm supposed to be at. I must not have that spiritual power that Jesus had or the apostles because my prayer life, I thought it was okay, but to pray for a whole day, maybe it's just something reserved for those who walked in the time of Jesus. So after a while, I just got up and I went and had dinner and I, I just watched TV that night. I, I felt like such a failure. I, I, I was talking to some of the other pastors the next day at the conference and I kind of told them my story and their advice was you've got to learn to pray you have to study prayer you have to make a discipline of prayer it's not something that you can just say I want to do it and it comes easily we see this in the church fathers right after the time of Christ and the apostles uh, you see men who just do nothing but go out into the wilderness to the deserts and they spend time in prayer. Uh, in fact, they spend all of their life in prayer. There's a story of a famous hermit who went out there into the desert, and he spent years doing nothing but praying and reading God's Word. And you think, well, that's a, that's a wasted life. I mean, he had no impact on anyone. Well, uh, no. Actually, Anthony, that was his name, came back after so many years, and he got involved in ministry. He was made a bishop. In fact, he lived into his 90s, and so he has these periods of his life where he's off in prayer. And I think that what you see throughout all the people in Scripture that you admire is that there are times when they go away, when they're alone, just God and them in prayer. Prayer is so important. But even if all those things weren't true, what we have here in the high priestly prayer is Jesus telling us, this is how you talk to God. And more importantly, this is how I talk to God about you. This is Jesus' prayer for you and me. This is how he does it. Jesus has uh, risen from the dead. We believe that we practice this every Easter. And what does he do? He ascends to the right hand of the Father, and there he prays. He intercedes for us. He goes to his heavenly Father and he tells the Father how we need protection, how we need provision, how we need whatever it is that we're praying about. He takes that to the Father for us. And if you're wondering, well, what does he exactly say? As you read through chapter 17, you get a great clue as to what he is saying. This is the prayer. In effect, if I could just challenge you this morning, I would say this. When you read chapter 17, perhaps like unlike any other part of Scripture, at least of the Gospels, this is sacred ground. Take off your sandals. Settle your heart on truth. Turn off the TV. Put your phone away. Listen to his words. Follow him. And it's not necessarily easy reading. A lot of pronouns in there, just like chapter 15 on the abiding section. But here, Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for you. It's used a whole bunch of times in here. To him, who is his father. And he's going back and forth, praying for us, interceding for us. It's sacred ground. It is his actual words. The disciples were given the privilege of listening to this prayer. 
so with the purpose that they would write it down in the Gospels. And John is the one who does this. John, the beloved disciple, says, I'm going to take Christ's words and give them back to you. Why is prayer so difficult? How do we get over that hurdle, that hump of making prayer uh, something that becomes a regular part of our life? I remember as a new believer in our church in Omaha, uh, the youth group would sit in the upper front right. We did this Sunday mornings, and we had church Sunday nights, and some of us went even to Wednesday nights. But one of our pastor's favorite men was one of our deacons uh, by the name of Garland. And whenever we had something super serious, giving was off a little bit, uh, there's somebody who needed uh, some help at home, uh, the church was struggling in some way, our pastor would call on Brother Garland to stand up and say a word of prayer for us. And we knew what was coming in the youth group. We had heard Brother Garland preach so many, or pray so many times. And he started off every prayer with, Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. And, pray. and if you looked over at the youth group, there, all their lips were moving because they knew exactly how this uh, introduction to his prayer was going to go. It, we thought it was amazing. You know, we didn't really mock him. We were astounded by him. This man had a prayer life. Uh, later on, I got to, on those Wednesday night prayer meetings, and that's what they were called, prayer meetings, go into the back room, which was really a baptistry, and pray with our pastor and Garland. Here I am, a young believer in Christ. Uh, I've had no one show me how to pray. But these men in their 50s and 60s would get down on their knees at a steel folding chair on cement, and they would pray. And when you listen to their prayers, you realize this was not the only time during the week that they prayed. They were continuing a conversation they had started with the Heavenly Father, and this conversation was going to go on and on. And I got to listen and have the privilege of learning from them on how to pray. Who's taught you to pray today? Who's discipled you in prayer? So many things have been written on prayer. We could uh, search throughout all the great men of Scripture, all the great men of church history, uh, all of them, without exception, had amazing prayer lives, the ability to intercede for others. One of my favorite stories is George Whitfield, the great uh, preacher, the evangelist in the 1740s and 50s, uh, traveling across the Atlantic Ocean in a boat. And this man had already been a member of the Holiness Club at Oxford. He had friends with Charles and uh, John Wesley. Uh, he had been part of revival. So he's not like he was an unbeliever. He was a believer. And in that, if you read his journals, he talks about the fact that prayer became so important to him on this journey. You see, he'd been more interested in doing the things of God than talking to God. And at one point in this, this journey, he realized that all of his efforts at pleasing the Lord were worthless. As he called them, they were filthy rags. And as he's laying in a hammock in the bottom of the bowels of that boat, he says the power of God came on him and he recognized the depth of his sin and how he had to repent. And he just started praying and the boat is rocking left, right, left, right. And he says it got to such a point that this darkness overcame him as if he was being personally attacked because so much was at stake. But through that time of prayer in the bowels of that boat, 
George Whitfield emerged a different man when he landed in America. And the anointing of the Father was on him to take the gospel all up and down the eastern seaboard. Thousands of people accepted Christ. Benjamin Franklin heard him preach on many occasions. And one of my favorite lines is when he is dying, George Whitfield comes to see him. And he says to Whitfield, almost you persuaded me. Almost. What are you doing with your life? What's so busy about your life that we're not spending time in prayer? It's not something that you just do naturally. It has to be taught. It has to be caught. Talking to God seems daunting, and all of us have times where we seem to be in a desert of prayerlessness, but we have to recover that over and over again. Prayer is incredibly powerful. It's sustaining to the believer in Christ. You think of the stories of prayer that Christ mentions. You, the example in Luke chapter 11, verse 11, where Jesus says to his listeners, when a child asks of his father for a gift, what will he give him? A stone? No. Uh, the, the best maybe he can give him is a fish. Think of what your heavenly father will give you. It was his encouragement to us to pray, to go to our father with our requests. He has the ability, he who created the universe, he who sustains it by his word, he who protects us and provides for us. This is the one that we go to in prayer. As great as our fathers may be, as nice as they may be, as rich as they may be, if that's your case, they can never give for you what the Heavenly Father can give for you. Prayer is an inducement to coming to Christ, to go to His Father and say, because of Jesus, I have the right to be here. I have the desire to be here. I want to pray. When you see somebody who's important come along, uh, it could be a super high-powered businessman. It could be a celebrity. It could be an administrator, a president. You see that there's all kinds of lackeys and followers in this trail, this posse, following them along, hoping to get a word in edgewise to them, right? So if I could just have five seconds of your time, sir, I'd like to, you know. And what are we hoping to get? Well, we're hoping to get something of a favor. We're hoping to get their, their good feelings towards us, somehow to change their hearts so that they see us as important in their life. But you know who has the best access to those powerful people? Their child. Think about your own relationship with your child if you have one. Oh my goodness. My daughters, they knew the way to my heart so easily. You know, my mom, my mom, my wife was called the, well, she's older than me. Anyway, my wife, I'm going to pay for that one later, is, uh, she was called the sentinel in our neighborhood because uh, there was a time there where I was just gone working all the time. I, I, I look back at my life and if there's one area that I really messed up in is that I was so involved in ministry and so involved with teenagers that I was rarely home. But when I was, people who called our house knew that they had to get past the sentinel. Ione would answer the phone, and she would probably say something like, well, that's great that you called. Dave will get back to you later. You know, Meaning, when we're done with him, when we get our time with him, we'll let you talk to him. 
but not before then. One of my friends, he was a state trooper, uh, Bill was his name, I love Bill, he's such a good friend, but he would just laugh and laugh. He says, yeah, I ran into the Sentinel the other day, I just dropped by to see you, she wouldn't let me even put a foot in the door. <laughs> so she's doing a good job, <laughs> you know? Uh, Bill would travel through our back alley just looking into our back windows to see if I was there, just trying to get time with me. But I'm telling you what, my daughters, they didn't have any such warfare. They didn't have any such uh, obstacles to getting my attention. All they had to do was come and sit on my lap and tell me how their day went and what they needed, right? You've done this with your children. What they want, I worked hard to have to achieve for them. I wanted them to have that. When a powerful person comes into the room, you may or may not be successful in getting their attention, but when their child comes in, they can walk right through everybody. The president, doesn't matter. Secret service will part, and their kids can come right to them. Such a touching scene. Jesus has that access to the heavenly father. He is the child of the king. He, because of who he is, because of what he has achieved, his prayers go directly into the Father's hearts. Father, I love these people. I love Dave. I love Peggy. I want you to hear what their prayer is. When you know the Son, you have access to the Father. And the great thing about this, theologically, is that because of what Jesus did on the cross, because he died for our sins, he has turned around and said, now, it's not just that you know me, but now I want you to be adopted into the same family. All the benefits, all the access that I have, you now have. You can pray. You can come into the presence of the Father, just like a child, and say, Dad, I've got something I need. I am so burdened. I'm so depressed. I'm so whatever. I need your attention. And the Father will listen because of what the Son, Jesus Christ, has made available to each of us. And so you have to ask yourself, well, if I'm not praying, what in the world am I doing? If I have that kind of access, if God has made that way for me, for me not to use it is insane. I mean, why wouldn't I? What, what else am I doing? Uh, we can't work our way there. It's not like you could serve in the church enough to somehow make your access to the Father better. It doesn't go that way. It doesn't matter who you are or if you're a brand new Christian or if you've been a Christian for 40 years. We all have equal access to the Father. It doesn't matter that if you're struggling in a sin area. Well, I, I feel this way sometimes. God knows my pride. He knows my anger. He knows my fear. If you only knew what I do in my private life, you would know that God never will listen to my prayer. No, the blood of Christ covers it. When we're adopted into his family, according to Ephesians chapter 1, all spiritual blessings are conveyed upon us. They're put upon us. And we have access to the Father. So what we're looking at here, as we just look at verse 1 today, is this. Let me reread this again. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh. I'm a little longer there, but 
You, you understand what he's saying? The disciples are watching him. They may have asked him, said, can we just watch you pray? Maybe it was just the inner circle, the Peter, James, and John who were there with him, the same ones that would sleep during the Garden of Gethsemane when he felt like he needed them the most. But at least at this point, they're paying attention. And John is recording this. This is how Jesus prayed. And you notice his opening line, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. This, is, this shouldn't be lost on us. And you say, well, why are we only covering one verse this morning? It won't go this slow for the rest of the series, I trust me. But today, we want to make sure that we're all on the same footing. We're here to glorify God. Jesus was there to glorify his Father. What does that mean, to glorify? Well, that means that his whole point, the whole purpose of him coming, was that others would glorify the Father for what he is doing in the life of Jesus. The shorter catechism of the Westminster Confession says, what is the purpose of man being created? And the answer, to glorify God. I used to read that and think, what kind of answer is that? I've been created to glorify God? I'm not even sure I know how to do that. What does that mean? Jesus tells us, I'm here, Father, to glorify you in all things that Jesus did, whether they were healings, whether he cast out demons, whether he just spent time with people talking to them. Whatever he did, he pointed people to the Father. He took no credit to himself. God, may you be glorified. He's saying to us, do the same thing. Whatever you find yourself doing in your Christian walk, it's not about you. It's about the Father. Glorify the Father. Father, the hour has come. What's the hour? The hour is the time in which he is going to give his life for us. The end of his earthly ministry has come to a complete end. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Who's his Son? Well, in this instance, immediately, it's Jesus Christ. But who's his child now? Well, his children are sitting right here. It's you and it's me. We're to glorify God. In this short section of Scripture, we're given the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation can't be missed. So when you think about this for a second, this really works towards evangelism as well, because when you're out and you're talking to someone and you're sharing your faith, have you ever had someone say to you, well, I'm not sure I need what you're selling? You know, I, I know that I may have done some small sins, but I've not committed adultery, I've not murdered anyone, I'm not a thief, I, I very rarely lie. We kind of go through this list of things that are Ten Commandment-ish, and we say, no, 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 no. But here's the point. Jesus lived to do one thing, and that was to glorify his Father. He did this in obedience to minister to others when he went to the cross, when the Father raised him from the dead. He glorified his Father. When you talk to someone who is saying, no, I didn't do this sin, I didn't do that sin, I didn't do this sin, ask him this, do you live to glorify God? See, that's the essence of sin is that we live to glorify ourselves. I want the bigger car, I want the bigger house, I want to have people speak well of me, I want to earn and have the biggest bank account. 
See, we're glorifying ourselves. All of that, as the word tells us, is wood, hay, and stubble. It's going to burn up. It's going to be not eternal. But when we glorify the Father, then we're fulfilling the purpose for why we are here. If you want to say to someone, hey, do you need salvation? Ask them that simple question. You know that you need salvation if your life isn't being lived to glorify the Father, as Jesus says here. It is the whole point of salvation. When I am living for the Father, I am revealing that God's desire was to save us. In that plan of salvation, as we're going to see in the rest of this chapter, we're going to see laid out these different sections. Wisdom. The Father was so wise in how he sent his Son. In power. <laughs> Don't mistake it. This was a spiritual battle. We saw this when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. We see this all through the Gospels. When people come before him and they want to accuse him of things, they want to stop him from doing his ministry, the Father shows his power. And you say, well, it ended up on the cross in a gruesome death. How powerful is that? That's incredibly powerful. You don't have to read the Chronicles of Narnia to understand what was really happening there, right? We understand that even on the death of the cross, God was showing his power over the darkness, over the principalities and the powers, because it forever broke the control of Satan in our lives. He no longer has the keys of death in his hands. Jesus wrested those back from him. He paid the ransom. He paid the propitiating price for us. God showed his power. God shows his justice. God, as we go through this prayer, we'll see is not able to just wink at sin. Sin is something that requires a price to be paid. And in his justice, because he is truly and ultimately a holy God, the Father has to do something about sin. He has a problem. He created us. We chose to rebel against him. We chose to live our own life and our own strength. We are separated from the Father because of sin. What can he do? He is an all-holy God. He cannot just abide with people who don't live in holiness. Justice requires a price. And what we're going to see throughout this chapter is this price is going to be paid. And lastly, it's the revelation of his love. And I say that we're used to using that term because Jesus says that I am love. But think about this this morning. If you get nothing else out of what I'm saying, focus on this. What kind of love was it when the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit lived in perfect community before the foundation of the world? They needed nothing else. Man was not necessary to creation. They had all that they needed. What's the chief end of man? To glorify God. The Father loved the Son, loved the Holy Spirit. The Son loved the Father, loved the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loved the Father, loved the Son. They were one. And yet, because of the sin of Adam and Eve and because of our continued sin, God so loved the world, it says earlier in John, that what? That he sent his Son, his only begotten Son, to pay the price for our sin. That is the love that we're going to see and have seen happening here. When Jesus comes to the Father, it's in recognition of the fact that he, the Son, 
has come, according to Philippians chapter 2, and emptied himself of some of the glory of his divinity so that he could take upon himself the form of a man, even the man who was going to go to death. What love. So that when he's on that cross and he's bearing the penalty for sin, he's taking upon himself the punishment that you and I should have to endure. And he is separated from the Father. Lord, Father, why have you forsaken me? Is the ultimate act of love. Love of the Father for you and for me. God is not an old man who sits up there in judgment and who has to be appeased by his loving son. He is the author of love. This whole plan was his idea. Jesus says, Father, glorify me so that I may glorify you in wisdom, in power, in justice, and love. This is the plan of salvation that we see here so clearly. How do you pray? What are you going to do this week? My challenge to all of us is that we set a time for prayer. We reread this chapter 17. Maybe read it just in little paragraphs. You don't have to read the whole thing every time. But read it and just try to instruct yourself on prayer. What is it that Jesus is praying for? How should I be praying? What's his relationship like with his Father? Can I come to the Father with the same intimate statements? Start a prayer journal. Get a little journal. Start writing down under the things that the Father shows you as you pray. List your requests and then list later when he answers them. Start a prayer journal. Pray expectantly. Listen quietly. Recently, we had an opportunity, Ione and I, to talk to some people that just needed some help. And one of the things that Ione said that she was really keen on was asking this person, do you hear the Father when you pray? Through the Holy Spirit, do you hear? God should talk to you. Your prayer life should be that intimate, just like Jesus you're going to understand that he has a purpose for your day today. What's he telling you to do? Well, if you're like me, you probably think, I've, I've tried that. I've, I've sat there quietly for 20 minutes sometimes, as if that's a long time. Listen. Practice listening. Listen, and then also learn to intercede for others. Are you praying for each other in this room? Are you praying for our church as a whole? Are you praying for those who are putting their lives on the line for Christ on a daily basis around the world? Are you praying for our missionaries? Intercede for others. Cultivate that relationship with the Father. As I close this morning, I just couldn't help as I was thinking through this last night even, the song that we used to sing in Dallas Seminary, as a group of men, we'd be in chapel. There'd be 250, 300 of us. And it was sort of our anthem. It was that song which we sang, which kind of expressed exactly how we felt about our relationship with the Father. And it's, it's an old hymn, but I love it. And I just want to read some of the words to you because it so fits with what we're preaching on this morning from John 17. It's called, And Can It Be? And Can It Be That I Should Gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, 
for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And the refrain is amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? I'm going to jump down to verse 3. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's, Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for, oh my God, it found out me. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And there's this last verse. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus, and all in him, is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I praise you, God, for your prayer. Lord, as we come to you in prayer, we recognize that we all need to work in this area of our life. We thank you for the example, the sacred example that your son left us on how to pray. And Father, when we think of him standing now at your right hand, after enduring all that he endured on that cross for us, taking the penalty for our sin, for our lies, for our stupidity upon himself, he still prays for us. He intercedes for us. Oh, Father, thank you that you hear his prayers. Thank you also, Father, that according to Hebrews, you hear our prayers. May we be a people of prayer, joined together, Father, in a spirit, your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.